Welcome to Experts Only Podcast, sponsored by Clean Capital. You can learn more at cleancapital.com. I'm your host, John Powers. Each week, we explore the intersection of energy, innovation, and finance with leaders across the industry. Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome back to Experts Only Podcast. I'm your host, John Powers, and today we are in for a little bit of a treat, a different episode compared to some of our normal conversations. Today, we're actually going to take a dive into the film industry and talk to two leaders from Tandem Pictures. The film industry is actually a massive consumer of energy, uh, a massive carbon emitter, and you know there's a lot of waste when these films are made. But, but the work of Julie uh, Christius and Johnny Blistein is really helping to change the game. We're going to talk about not just their latest film, but what was done behind the camera to ensure sustainability was happening on set and some of the innovations that they're bringing to the industry to help help change the game going forward. So I really hope you enjoy this and I hope you enjoy the conversation. Thanks. Julie and Johnny, thanks so much for joining me here at Experts Only. Thank, Thank you, you so much for having us, John. We're excited to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited to sort of dive into the amazing work you're doing. Uh, you know, as we talked about offline, it's a little bit different from our normal episode, but I think it's, your work is so important. It's important to highlight it for folks in the industry and find ways that we can hopefully bring some good ideas to you for the, the great stuff that you're working on. So, Julie, I want to start off with you. First of all, how did you get interested in film? Interested in film? I think from an early age, you know, I was one of the kids that always wanted my parents to take me to the movies no matter what was playing. And my dad constantly humored me. And that was something that I that I did with my dad. And he's Greek. So his love of film and American filmmaking and wanting to be part of the American dream and what it would mean to live in a country where you could do something that was outside of what your parents could offer you were all things that informed him and his love of the arts and specifically what American filmmakers were doing at the time. Um, And that certainly informed me. Amazing. And, And Johnny, the same question to you. Um, what got me into film? Um, I think, yeah, same thing. My, my parents, you know, my dad grew up, you know, taking a a nickel or a dime and going to see a a triple feature and staying in the movie theater all day as a kid, his parents, you know, worked all day long and he, you know, didn't really have parents. And so he was raised by the screen and loved West Westerns and musicals. And then when he would come home and then they would watch TV and he would watch Ed Sullivan and all that stuff. And so when I was growing up, my parents both had this passion and love for the Americana uh, that that was American cinema. I think they were, you know, less informed about obviously like world cinema and those things, but you know, showed me. I think they took me to the movie theater when I was a little kid to see Bambi or ET or something like that. And then, you know, it wasn't really until I, I got really into acting, and then in in high school, with, during the rise of the the independent film and the Sundance movement and all of that stuff. I got really interested in movies about underdogs and outsiders and saw like Todd Haynes, you know, movies like safe and, you know, early, early Tarantino stuff, Reservoir Dogs and, and, um, Darren Aronofsky's pie. And I started to get really excited about what you could do with the camera and telling stories about interesting and surprising figures and, and worlds. It really was my entry to the world. I lived in a small town in Illinois. Right. And so seeing these stories in other places was my way of traveling. Amazing. Uh, what was the town in Illinois? I grew up in a town called Lincolnshire. It's like a small Western suburb. 
it's not far from Lake Forest where Ordinary People is set and, and about 25 minutes west of the towns where all those John Hughes movies from the 80s were made, oh, really? like, uh, you know, Lucas and, and 16 Candles and Breakfast Club and all that stuff. Oh, that's amazing. And so how, when did you first, when did the two of you first sort of cross path? Uh, in city. Yeah, in New York. Um, uh, I was just going to say, I think New York is one of those, you know, amazing epic metropolitan centers um, that draws so many different types of people for so many different reasons to do so many different things. And at least for myself, New York City was, you know, the whole reason I ended up pursuing a career in production with um, very little experience. The, The first chance I got to see what was behind the camera. I was sold and and through a lot of hard work and persistence and looking over people's shoulders and um, people who were much more experienced uh, than I being generous with me and answering questions and and allowing me um, to have a window into what they did. I was able to work my way through the New York production office, coordinating and production managing and learning to line produce. Um, And that is how Johnny and I ended up crossing paths for the first time in a decade and a half ago, I guess now, John, yeah. um, I, I, on set? um, on I poured, set? yeah, I, I had, um, I'd been working my, my first couple jobs out of, I went to NYU film school and I had no yeah. idea how to get into movies. And I, I played in a band briefly and, and then got a job as an editorial assistant at a children's publishing uh, house that that did a lot of textbooks and then left that and went to work for an agency called Special Ops Media that and I got to do work on digital marketing campaigns for movies like The Squid and the Whale and Old Boy um, and Brokeback Mountain and it was cool to work on those movies but the the work itself um, I didn't like that they valued you know the new straight to DVD stupid teen comedy right. was like the same we were we were actually I remember we were we were marketing um, the I can't think of the name right now, the Bob Altman film with uh, Neb Campbell, where she's uh, a dancer or something. It's escaping me. Anyway, we were, we were marketing some serious art films and also stupid comedies and and the way they were treated in the room and talked about, they were like equal because they were just product. And it really bothered me. And I, 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 had a very strong feeling and passion for the arts and, 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 and good storytelling. And so I ended up, after a couple of years there, I, I quit and I really just wanted to get back in PA and start working on movies and working on sets. And so I like pounded the pavement and started just pouring coffee. And I met Julie cause I was pouring her coffee working as a PA. <laughs> and I was, I was like super dedicated to do a good job. Um, listen on my walkie talkie and, and Julie really inspired me because she was so focused and, and we just became friends on that set and then had different careers for like more than a decade and then reconnected after Julie had founded Tandem and been very successful with it. I, I reconnected with her a few years ago and we decided to team up. Yeah. Julie, tell me about that experience founding Tandem. Like what led, you know, you to make, sort of make the decision and as a, as a, as a founder of a company myself with Clean Capital, right? I know the the challenges and the roller coaster and the, um, excitement and anxiety and all the different pieces that come with sort of being a founder. Like what, what for you was the trigger to say, I, I'm going to, I'm going to hang my flag and do this on my own. Naivete. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great. <laughs> In truth, I, I have always felt really passionate about gender equality. And I think from a really young age, just identified a lot of 
social injustice around being uh, a woman um, and, yeah. and often being the only woman amongst um, a pretty solid group of men and, and what it felt like uh, to have a different opinion and a voice that sounded different. And sometimes that was considered valuable and sometimes that was considered May, I was made to feel less than because I was the exception to the rule, shall we say. Mm. And so as I got better at my job and went from line producing to producing to working at a small indie film company and starting to have an idea of what it was like to curate projects and filmmakers and have more of a voice in the choosing of those projects, it just became very clear to me that I didn't have access to the kind of content I wanted to be creating, the kind of storytellers I wanted to be involved with because I was working for with um, as, as a team member an all um, male, all young, all white film company outside right. of myself. Um, and, and that was really the, in, the inspiration for me. And that's why I say naivete. I, I in my heart of hearts, had an altruistic idea of want, of wanting to reach out to people who um, came from different backgrounds and had different points of view than myself and see how we could collaborate and tell those stories with a, with a standard of excellence and get them seen by a larger global community. At the time that I started the company in my living room with whatever fee LegalZoom charged me to start, <laughs> you know, I didn't really, I didn't really understand all of the ins and outs of what it would mean to take, you know, this idea I had for a business model and how I would have a revenue stream that came into the company and how that revenue stream would support the development of film and how I would, you know, reach out to these filmmakers that I thought were out there, but I still hadn't had access to how, how many challenges I would face just being able to keep the lights on, um, yeah. let alone develop projects that were meant to be full-length narrative features that I also had to finance. So it was challenging, but also, as you said, really exciting. I think sometimes those big challenges that I that I I didn't I didn't really know how big the task was going to be have been some of the best experiences of my life. It's interesting because there's a really unique parallel, I think, between the life of, uh, and I, we talked about this offline a little bit, but, but for the audience, I've got a weird, weird experience in the film industry. Uh, so I have s s some sense of what you guys do. And there's a parallel between what you all are doing to develop, you know, what is really the end uh, the consumers are seeing and the years it takes to get there in terms of a film and actually what someone has to do to develop a solar system. It is, you know, really from the ground up, putting this together, it's years of hard work. It's lining up crazy things like permitting and capital and all the things that, you know, most people don't think about when they see the end product. But, you know, the, the incredible work you're doing that while still running a company, I think is, is pretty incredible. I want to talk about one of your most recent films that premiered at the Sundance Film Festival this year. It was released by Momentum Pictures. So just so folks in the industry know, Tandem develops this and does momentum buy it and then put the film out there? Is that how it's sort of structured, right? That's right. Mm -hmm. yep. And did that happen at Sundance or was that happening sort of ahead of time? In the process, but we were represented, thankfully, by a, an amazing sales agent, which was CAA, Creative Artists Agency, which also yeah. represents some of the best talent in Hollywood. And we were so lucky to have them on board to support and, and take the film out. And it took several months after Sundance to finalize 
that deal, but those conversations begin at the film festivals. Yeah, absolutely. That was sort of my 101 for the, the audience who may not know how that works. So this is uh, a film called Black Bear starring Aubrey Plaza and Christopher Abbott. Uh, and it, it released December 4th. I mean, talk for a second about the film, but I really, really want to talk about is the sustainability work you guys work, did within the actual filming itself. So for a second, could you just give an overview of the film? Sure, Donnie. Yeah. You want to? You want to? Yeah, sure. Um, it's it's uh, a drama, you know, psychodrama. A lot of people describe it as um, where Aubrey Plaza's character is a uh, director who, uh, a film director and writer who comes to stay at a house um, in the woods to to find an idea. And as she's developing a story, uh, she meets another couple. Um, and uh, a love triangle forms that she may have instigated or not. And the film um, really looks at and, and deals with the act of storytelling itself. It's, it's a pretty chaotic and cyclical narrative that looks at uh, gender dynamics and um, how men treat women, how women treat women, the sacrifices we make as artists in the creation of work, and deals a lot with the the with nature in the wilderness and what that does to the mind in the process of making anything. Sure. And for, for a whole nother podcast sometime, I imagine re releasing a film in the middle of a pandemic is enough of a challenge in its own right. But I do want to talk about the, the exercise, the incredible work you guys did in terms of the sustainability of the filming itself. So just to give you, you know, I'm going to hit a couple of things, but I'll let you sort of really dive into it. But things like ensuring they're using re reusable water bottles on set, you know, things like uh, what to do with the compost and leftover food, which is a significant part of uh, sort of the waste that comes out of these programs or, or using LED lights when possible. So before getting into like the actual nuts and bolts of all that, let me just ask why, like what triggered this for you? I will say that, you know, historically as independent film producers, we've, we've been able to tell stories that might otherwise not get told within a studio system. So we deal right. with subject matter that you know, is is hitting a nerve in society at the time, whether that's, you know, child abuse or sexual abuse or um, veterans issues or being a, a female veteran returning from war and trying to reenter society to the movies that we released this year from, you know, surrogacy, um, millennial issues, LGBTQIA issues to gender dynamics that Johnny started to touch on in Black Bear. And all of these films, the thread that they have in common is that we shot in real locations right. and went to these beautiful, pristine places everywhere from Denali National Park and being the first narrative film to ever get permissions to film in wow. that in that park, which was, again, one of the one of the honors of my career to be able to do that, to black bear shooting up in the Adirondacks close to the border of Canada on uh, Long Lake. We were in Long Lake, New York. And we take that really seriously. We take seriously what it means to be outsiders coming into other people's communities with what can be a rather large, deep footprint. Right. And understanding that we can give the community an experience that's positive. We can care for the land and care for the people and be mindful of what we bring in and what we must carry out. Or we can do it in, in a way that, that doesn't take those things into account and leave everyone 
with a, a pretty bad taste in their mouth for the film industry, making it virtually impossible for anyone who comes after us to have a chance to film there. Um, right. and, and also just being completely disrespectful and disregarding of the land that we also desperately need to, to live our, our lives on successfully. So for us, it had, it happened pretty organically. And when Johnny joined the company, he really, um, I'm so thankful to him for saying, you know, we, for, for all of the practices that are already in place, we can be doing more and we can be using toolkits and measurement guides that really, um, put us through our paces that what we say we want to do and accomplish, we're really doing and accomplishing, um, which is what you know led us to partnering with the, with the Environmental Media Association on on both the films that we released in 2020. Johnny, can you paint a picture for the audience of what it's like behind the camera, in terms of you know most people that consider like the intensity of feeding a crew, right? Mm -hmm. or the, the power intensity needed to you know, run the, both the cameras and the lighting and the microphones and the editing, um, you know, give folks a sense of, of what it looks like behind maybe both on location and e maybe even in the studio and why the work you're doing really changes the current dynamic there. Sure. I think a great correlative in your experience, having been in the military, um, if you were to arrive with a team of 40 to 50 people in the middle of a location that had, you know, no power set up, no water system, and you had I did to that set up, set up, exactly yeah, set, <laughs> set up, set up camp in yeah. a, in a literally in a war zone. That's similar to how black bear felt in a lot of ways, because we arrived in a location that was not only, you know, eight, eight hours, uh, North of New York or so, but, but of, of New York city. So we had to bring all, all our crew there, but we were at a remote house location in the middle of the woods that had almost no cell phone service, except if you stood in one three foot square you know, four foot square corner of a, of a patio and held your phone out and like waited till the satellite right. passed over the sky. And our, our Wi-Fi in the house was not working. We had, um, we were on a solar system that switched over to, to the battery packs when the sun would go down and then those would run out and we switched over to a diesel generator. So we had power outages at two different times of the day while those switchovers happened. So, you know, the, the, just getting a sense of what this shoot was like, it was it was more non-traditional in the sense that we had um, these major infrastructure pieces we had to figure out and solve for, let alone having all 40 to 50 people living in different houses and hotels within this area, getting them to set, et cetera. But I think to answer your question, when you're on set in a production, you know, it's, it's a massive group of people. You have to think about how are you going to feed your crew? How are you going to make sure that you have your, your production team, your AD, um, your assistant director managing the schedule to ensure that you're hitting um, a break every six hours so you can break for food, um, ensuring that at the beginning of the day, everyone can get set up and coordinating the time so that your actors go into the hair and makeup chair and then they're getting ready to come to set you know, with their look ready to go and costume has already approved them right in time when the, the DP and, and the grip and electric team have, have set up the lighting and the lights are tweaked exactly right and everyone is ready. So there's just a massive amount of coordination that needs to happen so that when go time happens and the sound starts rolling and camera rolls, that everything just happens in, right. in on time. It's like, you know, uh, I hate to draw a, a correlative, but it, like a like a wedding or something where it's like at the time where the bride is going to walk down the aisle and the groom is going to walk down the aisle and everyone has to be seated. All those things have to line up and you have to do that every single day for 25 days or however long your shoot is. Right. And, and then on top of that, ensure that all of your team members are working together, that personalities aren't clashing, that 
crew is is happy, fed, getting a good night's sleep, etc. Et it's a massive amount of organization. And for us on Black Bear and doing sustainable shoots, on top of that, we're working to ensure we're recycling and composting and everyone's separating their trash and leaving their plates and dishes in the bin so that our chef um, who is on set can wash them so we don't have to use disposable paper and, and plastic yeah. forks and all those things. So it added a layer of um, coordination and thinking to to think about sustainability on set, but um, it it definitely producing any film is just a a battle every single day for for many days. Were there benefits outside of the environmental benefits that you saw with your sort of cast and crew who you know appreciated that work, or were they, they were sort of look at it as a pain in the ass? Like what the 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 work you did on sustainability piece? How was that sort of perceived by the team? Do you want to? We were really lucky. I mean, I'll say that Aubrey Plaza who. Um, stars in Black Bear was also on the producing team and she was a real champion of those efforts and a great teammate. You know, we, we, we were lucky in our teammate there. She helped set an example that, you know, she, she was using a metal straw. She was using her reusable bottle with a, exactly a piece yeah. of, a piece of tape that said her, her name on it. So no one else would accidentally take it. Right. She was scraping her plate to compost. Um, you know, we had asked people to share vehicles and share rides and to the cast's credit, instead of all of them insisting that they be driv- driven separately, even though they were tired shooting overnights, did need their space, did need their break to also get a good night's sleep, to put their heads together, to do their work. They travel together to set every day. They, when, when their, uh, timing of being, of being, of needing to arrive and being dismissed were, um, on par with each other, they, they made a huge effort to use share vehicles, um, and set an example for the crew too, um, to do, to do just that, to do the same. You know, we, we were charging our phones with solar powered chargers. We were, we were doing down to the smallest detail, whatever we could, um, to try to leave the smallest carbon footprint that we can. And ultimately, I think it made the team feel really good. I think right. it was some team building. And I also think being out in the middle of nowhere, um, living so closely together, shooting overnights and having this um, really intense experience in a very finite period of time, giving giving the team something to feel good about that wasn't just here we are all coming together to make this great piece of work, but we can do it in a way that actually takes care of each other, takes care of this community and takes care of our planet. I do think made everyone walk away feeling like they had contributed something positive yeah. beyond the piece of, of work that we were all there to create. Now the, to take this to the next level and talk about how do, how do we scale these efforts, right? And we talked earlier about, uh, before we got on about some of the work I do with the music industry at a group called Reverb and just to set for the audience, like this is an organization that does similar stuff that, that, that Julie and Johnny are doing for the music industry. And now they've sort of created a standard where, you know, Jack Johnson won't play venues unless it has biodegradable cups instead of beer, you know, uh, you know, plastic beer cups and Love LED it. lighting. And they do farm to table for the, the, uh, crew at each show but they've created this now industry playbook that is being adopted by Live Nation and some of these other folks. What's happening in the music and the, 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 the film industry that can really take this incredible sort of forward-leaning stuff you all are doing and help grow it and scale it across 
it sort of becomes more of a common practice? That is a great question, John. I think before getting into answering that specifically, we should talk about what the stats are in the industry. So yeah. the the folks who are scientists and and thinking about numbers on your on who pay attention to what you're talking about are going to understand the Hollywood. So on a on an independent film, fifty to you know, 250 metric tons of carbon dioxide are emitted in the process of making the film. These are anywhere from 18 to 30 or 40 day shoots at the most. Um, when you think about a Hollywood film, it's 2,000 to 10,000 metric tons of carbon dioxide. It's, it's a massive amount of output. And, you know, Hollywood studios are making, there's like 400 films that get re-released every year by the major studios and streamers, not to mention all of the TV series, there was something like 700 TV series that were new, came out last year, and that's many, many more days stretched out across production. So the the industry footprint of entertainment from both operating studios and, and putting teams on sets and locations where you're running these major massive generators to power lights, feeding crews and disposing all sorts of plastic and filling up landfills, it, that, that footprint is just enormous. And so um, the studios have done a great job um, through the um, Producers Guild of America, um, through the Environmental Media Association, and, and folks in corporate social responsibility at the studios who've been um, very active since about 2007 when Al Gore made an inconvenient truth and that sure. really blew the lid on this. They, they've been making big steps to change how Hollywood is producing films from you know doing a lot of the same stuff that we, we've paid attention to them, learned from that, and emulated on the indie film level. But at the independent film level, at film festivals, where at Sundance, there's something like 12 to 20,000 feature films get submitted every year. People are making podcasts and videos and content and advertising and digital videos and putting that on YouTube and putting that on Instagram and Facebook. There's just a massive amount of content being made by let's let's call call it the, the next tier down which is you know the semi pros and then amateurs who are who are making film and or, or and people in in colleges and edu- at the education level so how do you go about communicating to that audience to create a massive change so that when those folks come up and then become producers and become creators inside of hollywood if they go in that direction that they bring those values and skills with yeah. them that's that's really what we're thinking about. The, the Producers um, Guild of America created their Peach Guide and Green Guide, which we follow, which details you know every single step for every department and how you execute sustainability on a film production. And and we, which was can instrumental. How widely yeah. accepted is that? Just a framework people can go after, or major film studios now actually adopting that as a standard. The studios are working to to adopt some of those practices into their films, but it's not that the adoption is not nearly a hundred percent across the board. And in the independent film world, you know, there's more and more producers like us who are hearing about it and trying to look at that. But as far as we know, you know, we're the only company that's saying we're going out and we're going to make every movie according to these standards. And we want we're we're leaning hard into education. And this is I'm sort of circuitously getting back to your original question: How are we going to um, change the environment to to get everyone to make these practices standard practices. And for us, that's hiring PR, working on social, getting the word out there. Julie and I are doing podcasts like this. We're talking at universities, at film programs, and we're working on launching eventually a, a Green Producer Award, which we can talk about a little bit more in depth with a festival or with the PGA that will reward and, ch- and change behavior for producers who go out and make a film. We we understand that in order to to make these changes at scale, you need to educate, raise awareness, and and get the entire community to be incentivized and 
similarly in the music industry with Jack Johnson, we need more and more folks. It can't just be Jaden Smith and, and Greta Thunberg and, you know, some right. big Hollywood names to do this. We need actors who to say, I'm not going to sign on to a film unless they have these green practices. There's, there's so many of those steps and it's really there. I hate to use the word pressure, but there's a pressure that needs to build from within the industry, from folks that care to, yeah. to grow this into a much bigger uh, and that's honestly what inspired us to even speak about these uh, green practices that we have as standard practices at Tandem, because ultimately, yes, we are the executives in our company, but we're a small company. So as executives in our company, we still maintain being the um, producers on set. We're still the ones developing the work. We're, we're still the ones working with advertisers and brands and talking about how we can make those sets sustainable. So we're we're active practitioners and as yeah. active practitioners in the field we can look at that you know executive committee created standard list and say these are the things that are really fantastic and working and that everyone no matter what part of the industry you're in can adopt here are some things that specifically could help the independent community here are some things that could specifically inspire and help the future of our industry that are coming out of the universities and going to start making their own work. So we hope we hope that just by speaking more and opening the lines of communication and not being so siloed as studios and, and independent producers, but as a community working together to create a best practice system that takes care of our, of our planet, that we can inspire not only our colleagues to adopt these practices, but, but everyone who's coming right. down the line. So just a follow-up question is it's, if you look at the green building industry or you look at what's going on with, uh, things like energy star for appliances, right there, there's been a, a, a standard almost label, right? You talked about the award as a good example where, you know, you know, a film is lived by these standards cause it's got the greeny tag, whatever the, is that being developed at anywhere in the industry? Yes, that, that exists. That that's yeah. the Environmental Media Association Green Seal and Gold Green Seal for for right. a higher level, and that's what both of our films in, in that were released in 2020 received. Amazing. Um, so you just register with them and submit. You actually once you follow that PGA Green Guide, um, the the Environmental Media Association's application is basically a duplicate of that Green Guide, and it scores all of the across every from wardrobe to your lighting department to your camera department. It scores your shoot, and then you submit that. And if you meet a certain threshold, sort of like the B Corp application, you meet that, that score, right. you get, you, you become uh, an EMA green seal recipient. So there's an action that you could tell our audience to take to help on the demand and the pull side of this so that, you know, studios know that people are, are beginning to demand this, um, mm -hmm. from, from their films. What would you, uh, suggest they do? Um, well, I would also say that in, on the finance side, it's just so crucial that everyone understands that there have been studies that show that making these sustainable choices save your production huge money, huge amount of money on like a $20 million movie. It's more than $300,000, wow. um, gets saved by just using like reusable water bottles and, and having that on set because the amount of those Poland spring or arrowhead bottles that just get everyone has and drinks and just tosses are just right. gross and, and completely a waste of money. Amazing. Amazing. Well, first of all, I'll challenge everyone to go make sure you see Black Bear and, and the work that, that Tandem is doing 
you know, I always, uh, for both uh, Julie and Johnny, I want to leave you, ask you both this question because I asked sort of all my, all my guests. If you could go back to yourself coming out of high school or college and maybe before you moved to New York City, you know, what piece of advice would you give yourself? And let me start with Julie. I've been lucky in that I was given a few pieces of, of great advice, but if I could give myself a bit of advice, I would probably just tell young Julie to take it all with me. That's awesome. Um, that there's no, there's no part of my personal history or my past, the things that I might be shameful about or angry about or have, have felt unjust in, in my experience that, that don't inform the person I am and the person that I am becoming with each new day of my life. And that with that perspective of embracing my whole self, it will absolutely help me embrace other people and understand that every person I look at, every person I encounter, every person I will go on to hire and welcome into my team deserves respect for the work that they're contributing and to be treated in an equitable and fair way, simply by nature of the fact that we're sharing this space together, that we are walking through this life together and we are impacting each other with our behavior our histories and the choices we make, whether we are part of the same team or or not, or we never actually meet as we go down our paths, but that our own histories can inform who we are, who we become, and make us stronger for acknowledging and embracing them um, and better global citizens with the communities that we will ultimately become part of. That's a pretty powerful advice. That's great. Johnny. I think I'm just going to, Julie, drop the mic. I don't need yeah. to add anything <laughs> to that. It. I was going to say something similar, but I think we should just end there. That was beautiful. Well, first of all, I want to thank you both for your leadership in the space. It's so important that that folks are um, you know, committing to this like you all are. And I'll challenge the audience to go to tandempictures.com to keep updated on the incredible work um, that you guys continue to do day in, day out. And if there's more we can do to help spread the message to get folks to to understand and, and bring that demand to the table that that your you know colleagues uh, you know within the industry are ensuring this happens. You know, we want to play a role in that. So thank you both for being here today. Thank, thank you, you so much for having us. Yeah, you Absolutely. can follow us at at Tandem Pictures on Facebook and Instagram as well. I will be sure to do that. And I want to thank thank uh, our producers Colin Young and, and Carly Batten and the team at Tandem for helping to put this together. As always, you can get more episodes at cleancapital.com. And as always, I look forward to continuing the conversation. Thank you. Thanks so much, John. Thanks, John. Thanks for listening in today's conversation. Find more episodes on cleancapital.com, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. We look forward to continuing our conversation on energy, innovation, and finance with you.